housing to the aged action group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to the Housing for the Aged Action Group show, Raise the Roof, here on 3CR. My name is Shane, and I'm here with Fiona. How are you doing, Fiona? Hey, Shane, how are you? Well, doing all right, all things considered, I guess. Um, so on today's show, we're going to hear some clips from HAG's recent forum, At Risk, uh, From Awareness to Action. And specifically, we're going to hear some excerpts from a panel on influencing for change. Fiona, why influencing for change? Like, why did we have that as a topic and, and why did we think it was important? And what is it? So we, the forum that we held online was about older women at risk of homelessness and the strong message that we were getting from participants last year and also panel audience members on the day was that they're sick and tired of all talk, no action. Um, that they've heard it all before from the politicians um, and various decision makers about how important the issue is, but we're not actually seeing any change. So we thought what we would do is go to some people who have campaigned on other topics to find out what has worked and what hasn't worked in their campaigns, um, because we thought they might be able to give us some insights and some knowledge about effective, um, effective change making in the political area. So that's why we decided to have the panel. Sounds awesome. Let's go right to it. Do you want to introduce who they are? Uh, no, I did not, Fiona, but I guess you're <laughs> nodding at me now, so I will. Look, there were four speakers on the panel. We don't have time for all of them on the show today. So we're going to hear from Kate Colvin from Everybody's Home. We're going to hear from Kirsten Dean of the Melbourne Disability Institute. And we're going to hear from Anna Brown from Equality Australia. Um, if you'd like to hear from Alistair Webster from the Building Better Homes uh, organization, you can check out the video which shows the whole panel that's up on our website and we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, or if you want to hear more from Alistair, check out the show that he was on and we'll, we'll link to that as well. Cool. Uh, but here we go. Influencing Great. for change. Let's do it. So welcome everybody um, and thank you so much for joining today's discussions. We're really looking forward to hearing about your experience and your reflections um, and hearing about what worked and didn't work for your campaigns. So first of all, I'm going to ask each of our speakers to spend five minutes describing their campaigns. Um, so first of all, we'll start with Kate. Kate Colvin, would you like to go first? Thanks, Fiona. Thanks for having me. And I'd like to acknowledge that I'm joining from Wurundjeri country and pay respect to elders past and present. Um, so as Fiona said, um, uh, Everybody's Home is a national campaign to end homelessness and fix the housing crisis. So um, we started in 2018. Um, we have more than 500 organisational uh, members and over 35,000 community supporters. And um, the campaign was created um, by housing and homelessness organisations for two major reasons. So the first one was that over the years, there's been lots of behind the scenes lobbying 
um, by um, housing and homelessness organisations. Um, lots of policy work. There's, you know, you could build a mountain out of the number of policy reports that have been built, that have been written, um, arguing that social housing is needed to end homelessness. Um, and yet no, um, not enough progress was being made. So housing and homelessness organisations came together and concluded that what we need is to really build and demonstrate public support for more investment in social housing. So that's where Everybody's Home was created or why Everybody's Home was created. The other reason it was created was because there's lots of little mini campaigns being run by the sector, all with sort of conflicting messages, different branding, and it gets confusing for government and makes it easier to discount what the sector's saying. So Everybody's Home was created to be that single brand with a single set of clear messages that a, a large number of organisations signed on to. So what I want to do, um, that's a sort of really brief outline of the campaign, but what I want to do um, in this five minutes is share with you two things that I've learned working in campaigns for a number of years. And the first one is that you need a really clear campaign goal and you need to have tangible, achievable outcomes to focus your efforts along the way. Because one of the things that's always a risk when you're doing campaigning is that you've got like sort of 20 goals, 20 things that you want to achieve, and you can keep very busy doing lots of little activity that contributes to all of those goals. But because it's um, a dispersed sort of set of activity, it doesn't really make progress, enough progress on any of them. So I want to give you an example of what we did recently of setting a clear um, campaign goal along the way. So um, as uh, we, we heard in the political panel at the beginning of this year, there was all of that hullabaloo about women's safety. And we knew that the government really needed to demonstrate that they were serious about women's safety. They called the National Women's Safety Summit. And we felt like um, that that was going to be an opportunity where they were definitely going to um, end up spending money to um, show that they were serious about women's safety. And as it happens, housing is really critical to women's safety because domestic and family violence is the biggest driver of women's homelessness. So um, that gave us a strategic um, opportunity to intervene. So what we did is we set um, a micro goal for, the, for a few months work. We, we said what we wanna happen is to have um, housing uh, achieve as an outcome um, in the process around the Women's Safety Summit. So um, to, to make that happen, we were able to direct a set of activity that was all pointed to that end. So we published some research and got media around the fact that um, housing is a really important issue for women's safety. We um, organised an event to galvanise the participants in the National Safety Summit so that they would be active within the event. And we created a sign-on letter that um, 240 organisations signed to demonstrate power and to create a fresh um, opportunity for the media so we could keep the conversation going in the media and also had a petition that was also about demonstrating power. And so what, um, what we were able to achieve was that Housing was included prominently in the delegate statement for the um, housing and for the safety summit. 
And also we had quite a lot of media attention in the lead-in, so we created a public narrative about housing being really critical to women's safety. And that meant that then journalists were asking the minister, well, what are you doing about housing? Because housing is really important. And that brings me to the second thing that I think is something that I've learned along the way. And it was um, words from a very wise public servant who was telling us about what we need to do um, to achieve change. And she said, um, look, you've got to understand that decision makers aren't really interested in your problems. We see people come to MPs or, I mean, come to the minister all the time saying, we've got this problem, we've got that problem, we want you to fix it. She said, they're really only interested in fixing their own problems. So what does this mean for our campaign? So for example, if we go and tell decision makers quietly in a room how awful homelessness is for older women and ask them to fix it, we're really sharing our problem. But if instead of that, we um, make the issue a public problem, for example, if hundreds of older women all go to parliament together um, and um, to demand action and demonstrate and get that issue up in the, in the media as a consequence of that combined effort, and then journalists are, are asking the Prime Minister what he's doing to house the mothers and grandmothers of our nation, then we have a problem for the government and he's going to want to have a convincing answer to give to that journalist. And so effectively, I think that's the task of our job as campaigners is to make our problem, fixing homelessness for older women, a problem for the government. And that's where I'm going to end it so that you can hear from the other um, wonderful campaigners. Thank you, Kate. That's something to live by. Make our problem their problem. Um, okay, I'm now going to ask Kirsten to speak about the Every Australian Counts campaign. Thanks, Fiona. Um, and I would also like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land I'm on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay my respects uh, to elders past and present. Um, as Fiona mentioned, I'm now the general manager of the Melbourne Disability Institute. Um, but five minutes ago, um, I was the campaign director for Every Australian Counts. And Every Australian Counts is the campaign that started back in uh, 2011 to fight for the introduction of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, and I actually started uh, work on the campaign back in 2009. There were three organisations in the disability sector that managed to convince two philanthropic trusts to give them a little bit of money um, to start a campaign to see whether this idea for a national disability insurance scheme could actually become a reality. And those three organisations brought me on and said, what would a campaign look like and can you start one? Um, uh, and I'm really struck these days when people talk about the NDIS that they regard it as a bit of an inevitability, like it's such a sensible idea, why didn't it happen before? You know, of course it was always going to happen. Um, and I have to tell you that it did not feel like that um, back in 2009 when we started the campaign. In fact, I spent a lot of nights um, awake worrying that this really good idea would never see the light of day. Um, and the campaign for a National Disability Insurance Scheme faced a whole bunch of uh, challenges um, and collectively I call those challenges uh, the lack. Um, and the first was, was that there was a lack, lack of understanding of the issues that faced 
people with disability and their families in this uh, country. Um, I think unless you were a person with a disability or like me, a family member of a person with a disability, didn't really understand the kind of challenges that people with disability faced every single day in this country. I think that most people in the public assumed that because we lived in a, you know, liberal democracy and there was some semblance of a social welfare system that somewhere someone was looking after people with disability. And the truth is, is that they weren't. And if there was a lack of understanding of what the issues were for people with a disability and their families, there was even less political will to do anything about it. Disability issues were very, very low down on the kind of political totem pole. There was also a lack of understanding. The NDIS was this really huge, big, uh, complicated uh, social and economic uh, policy, had this funny word insurance in it, and nobody really understood what it was. And not only was it big, and not only was it complicated, it also had a really, really, really big price tag attached to it. Um, and the very people that we thought could help explain this really big complicated idea were people with disability and their families. And they were the very people that we were trying to help. Um, the irony of all of this was not kind of lost on us, which is we were fighting for um, a scheme that was going to give people with disability and their families the support they really needed to go and do the things they would do. And we were fighting for it because they were so strapped for time and for resources. And here we were um, asking them to turn themselves into grassroots um, campaigners and giving them something else to do. So we were always really conscious that the very group who we thought would do the best job of explaining why this reform was necessary were the people that needed the most help. Um, and the other thing was, is that this kind of campaign had never been mounted in the disability sector before. We worked with both organisations and individuals who'd never done anything that was even remotely political before. Um, and I think that the kindest thing that we could say about it is that we worked with both organisations and individuals that were kind of quite politically uh, naive. Um, and they hadn't had a chance to do this before. And so we really had to take people kind of on a journey with us. Um, and the final lack, and this is really common to campaigns that are fighting in the progressive areas, that we didn't have any money. We had a little bit of money, but certainly not enough to kind of mount the kind of traditional campaign that you might mount by paying people, um, by paying lobbyists, by running advertising and things like that. All we really had was enough money to resource a very, very small, and I mean very small, uh, campaign team. Um, so they were all of the things that we lacked, um, but we did have one thing in our pocket. Um, what we lacked in resources, we really made up for in people power. There's about 700,000 uh, people who have a severe or profound disability in Australia. And if you multiply that by their families and their friends and people who work in the disability sector, you have a very large group of people um, for whom the issue was really important. What we had to do through the campaign was organise, motivate and resource this really, really large group of people. Um, so I wanted to finish kind of my five minutes with saying, um, from the outside and now, people regard Every Australian Counts as a really successful campaign. It didn't feel like that um, in the beginning. It really, really didn't and I really want to emphasise that. It started with a group of people that nobody considered powerful. 
Um, they had never been listened to. Um, their concerns weren't a priority to anyone. And honestly, in the beginning, um, even people themselves, even people like me wondered if we were really powerful at all. And perhaps individually we weren't, but collectively we were. Um, and collectively, it was this amazing group of ordinary people with a disability and their families who fought for this incredible reform um, and won. And given recent events in the last year, are still fighting for it to deliver on its promise. So I might leave it there and answer some more questions later. Thanks, Kirsten. That was great. Um, I'm now going to ask Anna Brown to tell us about the marriage equality campaign. Hi, everyone. Well, this one's a bit different from the others. Um, uh, hopefully, uh, none of the other campaigns we're talking about need to go through a national vote. Um, and I'm sure everyone on this call remembers where they were when Australians voted yes uh, in November 2017. It really was a once in a lifetime moment and probably the first and last time an ABS data release has literally stopped the nation. Um, and before I get into the mechanics, I just was reminded when Tanya was speaking earlier today that how emotional it was. And I remember my now fiance was actually, she'd never met Tanya before, but they found themselves sort of sobbing and hugging um, in each other's arms behind the stage in Sydney's Alfred Park, um, where there was enormous crowds. Anyway, that's a diversion. I thought it was a, it was a funny memory. Um, but what that campaign really did for LGBTIQ plus Australians was um, really quite profound. And that day itself represented a seismic shift in the way um, Australians view our communities. And uh, when the majority of Australians voted yes, um, what, what, we, what we saw was millions of allies stand up for our community in a way that hadn't been done before. And ever since then, I've walked into every meeting with a politician and sat down in front of them, knowing that I have the strength and support of 62% of Australia and counting behind me. And that, that is incredibly powerful, um, especially when you think about the fact that, it, you know, around 15 years ago, um, most of the people that voted yes um, probably would have voted no. And it was the hard work of many people in the community working, um, people that were really on the margins of society um, and criminalised, um, then medicalised uh, over decades in this country that, that made this change happen. So I won't go back and do the, the really long historical piece, but I will tell you a bit about the Yes campaign and how we uh, made that happen. And essentially, at a really high level, it was a campaign made up of millions of conversations, like many campaigns we're talking about today, about real people and their lives. Um, we campaigned with the dignity and respect that we sought from the community. Um, it was a campaign of respectful conversations that sought to unite Australia, not divide it, to persuade. And we weren't aiming to beat anyone, but to win over everyone. Um, because we knew that after the vote, we'd all be living in the same Australia and we actually needed to move forward together as a nation, no voters and yes voters. And of course that change continues like any social issue really, that change continues today, tomorrow and the day after that. And of course that's why I've continued the work at Equality Australia to ensure that um, equality for LGBTIQ plus people is simply uh, a matter of course, a given. 
um, and hopefully one day it will be. And as to the mechanics of how, I think there's so many parallels with what's been already said. Um, we did our research, we built a team, we set goals um, for the campaign in terms of turnout and the level of support. We smashed both of the goals that we set. Um, we got our messaging right early. We did our, we did our testing. Um, we brought in expertise, in-kind support, built donor relationships, and we built a really strong coalition for change because given the size of LGBTIQ plus communities, we weren't ever going to make up a majority of the population, but once you include uh, the people that we love, the people we work with, the people we play sport with, then we became all, also very powerful. And um, that stakeholder piece was really important. So building state and territory networks, different stakeholder streams, sport, corporates, faith, multicultural unions, civil society more broadly, and we told stories and helped people tell their own stories. Um, and together we had millions of conversations. Uh, we set up a tool to help people um, have conversations and made over a million phone calls using our phone, phone calling technology. Um, we stayed positive to stay the course. And we focused on the messages, stories and conversations that would pers persuade. We didn't react to our opponents. Um, the, the, there's been talk of the difference it makes to have people in parliament. Certainly, I don't think we would have achieved marriage equality without, um, for the first time, having a, a, a really, um, you know, substantial number of uh, gay, predominantly, no, we don't have any trans um, politicians yet, but LGB politicians, our Rainbow Caucus, um, that made an incredible difference. Uh, and it was really the Liberal Party um, gay MPs and allies like Warren Inch that were able to shift um, shift the, the government on this, um, along with obviously really broad support across Labor, the Greens and um, other minor parties. Um, and, you know, as I said, obviously the Yes campaign built on decades of resistance and advocacy by LGBTI people that came before it, but in terms of the scale of the campaign itself, it's, it's probably the, or certainly the largest campaign I've worked on. We had um, at its peak 90 full-time staff, secondees and professional volunteers. Um, now that paled in comparison to the no side, like many, many of you um, have spoken about already. Uh, we were very much outmatched in terms of funds um, and we, we now even more so because um, Equality Australia is a lot smaller than during uh, the marriage campaign. We've got five staff. Um, and, but what we, like the other campaigns, what we lacked in resources, we made up in people power. And uh, we have 15,000 volunteers across the country. We had hundreds of thousands of people door knocking, making phone calls, like I said, in some of the biggest field campaigning efforts you've ever seen. We had 900,000 new enrolments or updates to enrolments on the electoral roll as a result of um, our early efforts to mobilise people to update their details and a whole new army of campaigners and allies that stood up for us and that will keep fighting. And I can see, um, you know, through this conference today, you're really starting to build an army for this movement right now, today, uh, which, is, which is really incredible. And I guess the last thing I wanted to say was that um, often there's a focus on law reform or particular moments in time, but um, a lot of social changes really sometimes undetectable, it's, it's slow, it's inevitable, 
um, sort of shift in the fabric of our lives and one thread at a time. Um, we change attitudes, we write laws, we, we change our behaviour, and then you look back and, and realise that the weeks, months and years of sort of tireless campaigning actually has created change um, that you couldn't have imagined. And uh, for the most part, I think change is made quietly through hard work, through the probably many of you on this um, call and this conference, the work you do every day, which doesn't hit the headlines, but progressively builds safer and more loving uh, and more inclusive communities. And that's that's the importance of the work undertaken by the organisations coming together today and the individuals on this call. So um, in, in closing, I guess, thank you for all of the work you do. And I wish you all the best with your campaigns into the future. Thank you so much, Anna, and to Kirsten, Alistair and Kate for your insights. Um, it's really invaluable to hear for the audience to hear your experience and what you've worked and work, what's worked and what hasn't worked. Um, I'm going to go to some questions. Um, some of these are coming up through the chat as well, which is great. So to Kate, um, you mentioned that you have a really big coalition of housing and homelessness services and community sector organisations. And there's someone in the chat has mentioned this as well, that it's very, we have a very complex message Mm -hmm. um, to get across with all of the things around tax and, you know, the different options. How did you go about um, getting agreement across such a diverse range of people in focusing in on one or two key messages? Um, what were the challenges in refining that and the importance of having a message that we can all get behind? Uh, look, so we had a series of meetings with the sort of founding partners of the campaign and I, I can't pretend that there wasn't some sort of pretty robust conversations at some of those, you know, meetings. It's hard to all come to a point of agreement. But I think that what really drove people was that everyone wanted to see more social housing. And so it was about finding the points at which there was a lot of agreement and having to set aside some of the kill some of the darlings about what was not points of agreement. So, for example, we say that we need um, 500,000 more social and affordable homes. We don't go to the detail of exactly how those be funded in terms of the funding mechanisms because that's where some of the conflict within the sector um, would come about, like whether or not you, you have... Well, it's quite technical, like it's, you know, the, the business of sort of how government does funding, is it tax concessions, is it, you know, um, funding streams, is it direct capital grants, like all of that can kind of create some of those tensions. Um, and so we lost some of that detail, but to be honest, because it's a public facing campaign, those details can be really um, interesting for policy wonks behind the scenes when you're having the sort of lobbying conversations with government that the peak bodies still do, but those, they're not actually that interesting for the general public anyway who, who want to see the product not... It's like um, uh, in terms of, you know, you think of IKEA, like you don't, you don't sell people on the message by showing them the instruction manual for how you build the cabinet. You show them the beautiful picture of the cabinet. So our job is to... Um, sell the message about what a great um, outcome will be achieved for the nation if everyone's housed and there's more social housing, not, not that detail. Um, but I think that the main message I'd leave is that 
sometimes if there's points where you can't agree, those are the things that need to be um, put aside. Hi, we're Russia's Young, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Oh, yeah. Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. Smash the patriarchy. You're listening to Raise the Roof on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We have just been hearing from our Influencing for Change panel, which was um, at our at-risk forum a couple of weeks ago now. And unfortunately, we didn't have time to play all of the amazing questions that came from the audience, which were really um, great. So if you want to see that and you want to hear more from the other panellists, including Alastair Webster, who unfortunately we didn't have time for today, you can go onto our website and we have the full video there. Um, Shane, do you want to tell them what our website is? Website is oldertenants.org.au. Um, if you want to get in touch with us otherwise, you can give us a call on 1300 765 178. So that's, you know, if you're an older Victorian with a housing issue that you want some advice or some help with, uh, or if you want to get involved with us in influencing for change for housing justice for older people, uh, 1300 765-178 and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, that is almost all the time we have for this month. Sad that we didn't get to spend some time talking about the most incredible news of the last month, the Melbourne Football Club Premiership, oh uh, which I know that Fiona was very excited to discuss at a great length, but unfortunately I've had to cut her off so she can't say anything about it. Uh, we're going to leave you with a song this is justified by the great Casey Musgraves. Talk to you soon. Bye. See you time. Bye. It was a fun, strange summer. I rolled on, didn't think of you. We lost touch with each other. Fall came and I had to move. 